Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to the Will Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 64, we discuss the latest news from Telemundo and Fox Sports regarding their World Cup coverage plans, news about MLS TV ratings from the first week of the new season, as well as changes happening in Serie A and much, much more. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Now, for those listeners who haven't had a chance to... Uh, listen to this show before this is the only soccer media podcast out there so we do everything from looking at the games we watched this past week uh, making some comments about the commentary the production etc uh, to also discussing some of the news that's going to impact your viewing experiences either on television online or apps uh, this season or in coming season and uh, some of our uh, analysis and thoughts and opinions about tv ratings etc so Let's go ahead and head, uh, kick things off and uh, let's see what you've been watching this past week, Kartik. Yeah, obviously we had a, a rare Thursday game in the Premier League with Arsenal playing Man City, a makeup match. Uh, ironically, they were playing the same weekend as the final, uh, which they ended up playing each other in the League Cup. This happened with Man City two years ago, actually, when they played Liverpool in the final of the League Cup and then played them midweek in a, in a makeup match. So irony again there. Um, With Arcotic, though, I, I must say it was great to have Carl Martino back. And, that was what I was about to say. Uh, yeah. I, I think you want to move on to, to the next day. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, Carl Martino returned. Uh, it was great to have him back uh, after the USSF election. Obviously, some of us see him in a whole new light now. He, he offered some very progressive uh, ideas for the sport in the United States, but then back to talking about uh, the Premier League, there were people who were complaining to me on Twitter that he wasn't talking about, he didn't talk about his failed candidacy for U.S. soccer. It's a different audience, folks. Uh, so, and, and and there was no need to belabor that. That's over, that's done. Uh, we've moved on, so it was great to have him back. Uh, not a good, uh, good game for Arsenal. I think... Uh, other than Aaron Ramsey, who I thought had a very, very good game for uh, for, for the Gooners, uh, they just seemed switched off for much of that match. Uh, yeah. City was going through the motions for much of the match as well. Yeah, this one, Kartik, I, I have to just applaud Carl Martino for being out for so long and coming back and first game in, just giving him some really, I mean, just really crystal clear analysis uh, from the get-go. And uh, I mean, I've missed him. I, th- I think NBC Sports have missed him. And he really, I mean, to me, he's, he's better than the two Robbies. So the two Robbies are great, too. Uh, he is the their best analyst. So even though he didn't win the election, um, I'm glad to see him back. So a huge, huge plus for NBC Sports and, and for soccer in the United well, States. Well, of course, as he said, he'd been out for... Uh uh, for 10 weeks and the issue was the same when he got back 10 weeks later which was the Venger issue could have been the same as five years ago really I, I this uh, the predecessor podcast of this I remember Richard Farley and I having the same conversations as about Venger 
in the 2010-2011 season, in the early months of 2011, February and March of 2011, and getting all this hate mail from uh, or hate tweets and emails from Gooners fans, uh, who probably now are the ones holding up the Wenger outsides or are not going to matches or watching matches anymore, ironically enough. So it's actually longer than five years. That's That was seven years ago. So anyway, watch that. Uh, that night was uh, the USA-Germany game where there were brutal conditions. Um and the USA goal came, uh, this was in the She Believes Cup in Columbus. The USA goal came, became of, they came largely, I think, because of weather and wind and the U.S. being able to take advantage of having the wind at their back in the first half. Germany unable to take advantage of that in the second half. Germany had a brutal, um, a brutal, brutal, um, uh, She Believes anyway, uh, didn't do very well uh, in the competition. The next day, uh, Gladbach and Bremen, uh, Aaron Johansson uh, scored a couple goals for uh uh, Bremen in the comeback, and uh, of course he uh, was playing out wide. A lot of people uh, uh, may not have realized that, and may have thought he was just playing up top. And I, I saw all kinds of comparisons between him and Josie Altador. Um, over the weekend, a lot of soccer. Burnley Everton. I had the TV on, uh, but the match, quite frankly, wasn't very uh, wasn't of a high quality. Uh, Southampton Stoke. Watched that match. I thought that was a high, high quality match in midfield. The finishing for both teams reminded us why they're both fighting relegation uh, and they're having uh, from uh, both sides their worst uh, worst year since coming up into the Premier League. Um, best match of the weekend for me watching from an entertainment level was RB Leipzig and, and, and Borussia Dortmund. Uh, that match was so good that it stopped me from going to a college basketball game. It stopped me from watching the Premier League game on the other channel, which included Liverpool, by the way. Um, Derek Ray and the former QPR striker Patrick Agamemnon uh, were, were the commentators, BT feed, and I thought Agamemnon was really good. I, I had never heard him before, but seemed to really get the flow of the game, knew the two teams pretty well. Uh, I had never, as I said, I had never heard him before, but uh, former favorite of mine on Football Manager, so it was uh, neat to listen to him. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, so far this season, uh, Leipzig has been a joy to watch, and of course they're, they're in the Europa League too, and uh, I, they're just a really fantastic entertaining attacking side to, to, to watch and uh, yeah I'm hoping for bigger and better things from them yeah me too and then, as I said I really enjoyed that game Dortmund's good to watch as well although now with the two draws I think match against Augsburg the previous week and then uh, this Leipzig game uh, under Stoger the, the revival seems to be stalling two draws in a row Napoli Roma this was a, a great game I, I don't think Napoli played as badly as the score might indicate a 4-2 loss uh, some fortuitous uh, luck for Roma, and plus they took their chances, right? They had four chances in the game, they scored four goals, and they, they beat Napoli 4-2, which uh, at least for now changes the complexion of the Serie A title race, and obviously tragedy struck, struck Serie A um, overnight that night, so we didn't have any games. Uh, Sunday, we haven't had any Serie A games, I believe, since then. Uh, so that was... Um, um, that was an outstanding game to watch. Uh, watched Monterey, Monterey Puebla on uh, Saturday evening. That was pretty good. Uh, Funes Mori, the former FC Dallas Academy product, who went to River Plate, and then uh, whose brother is actually playing for Everton, um, made, made us, uh, you know, had a great goal to start the game for Monterey. But then Puebla came back and scored three. Um, and then let me finish up my Saturday with uh, the way I think. A lot of Americans finished up their Saturday with the Super Classico, which was just a great atmosphere. Two high-quality goals, really good first half. Second half was a little static at times, but uh, 
uh, Univision's present presentation and production levels of um, Liga and Mekis matches, particularly big ones in Saturday prime time. Now that I'm watching more and more of that league, um, I used to watch this league a decade ago pretty religiously and and, and stop. Uh, I, I realize it's it's far beyond even what you're getting for for MLS from uh, the same network. Interesting. Yeah, I, I missed that game, and uh, I, I'm not sure what I was doing on Saturday night. But I, I wasn't watching that game, so uh, that, that's uh, unfortunate. Uh, but but we'll get into TV ratings a little bit later in, in terms of uh, who was watching that match. Um, I saw most of the matches that you saw, Kartik. Uh, just a few exceptions. Uh, I saw the Brighton Arsenal game, uh, and then uh, of course Barcelona against uh, Atletico Madrid. And uh, but the, but the big one really, well, actually, the Barcelona Atleti and the Brighton it's, Arsenal game were on that's Sunday. Sunday. That's yeah, Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw both those so, games. So the only one I saw on Saturday that was different than yours was um, Houston against Atlanta. So the the first nationally televised uh, MLS game, and uh, this one was on Univision and Univision Deportes Network. And I watched this one, and I switched it off at halftime. And, and the reason being is that the defending by Atlanta United was absolutely woeful. I couldn't believe it. At halftime, it was Houston, uh, fully deserved, uh, 4-0 ahead. And I was like, Man, this is just so one-sided. It's not, it's not even fun to watch. So I just watched, switched it off. But I just could not believe how bad Atlanta was in the back. Uh, so definitely some warning signs there. But with, with a Major League Soccer, you never know. And this weekend, Atlanta could bounce back and... Uh, you know I mean uh, score, score a 4-0 nil winner of their own who knows uh but but that was my saturday and then like like i said too, kind of going into sunday with the brighton arsenal uh, barca atleti to kick things off um what what was your sunday like uh, after that kartik yeah brighton arsenal uh barcelona atleti and, and i have to say on barcelona atleti love Ray hudson love phil shade known those guys for years locally but it's they they they, they try to be objective during a Barcelona game, or I shouldn't say this about Phil Shane, it's not him, it's, it's Ray Hudson. Try to be objective, but then there's just a, a presumption of, uh, like on the offside calls. There were three or four really controversial offside calls against uh, Atleti, the last two against Diego Costa, one which I think almost certainly would have led to a goal, the second that chopped off a goal. And uh, there's a presumption of in it, uh, presumptions of guilt by a Barcelona opponent, is how I would describe it. Um in the way those matches are called. And uh, look, I mean, I understand that Letty's not everybody's cup of tea. And, and I, I, you know, I go to Twitter during these Letty matches, whether they're playing Real Madrid or Barcelona, most, most normally Barcelona over the course of the last, uh, since Simeone really got that team playing well in the 12, 13 seasons. So now five, six seasons. And there's just this uh, constant uh, uh, drumbeat about how negative they are how their players are too too rough, how they're, which by the way, I don't think they were in this match. If anything, this was kind of an unathletic performance uh, for much of the match. But um, I, I don't know what people expect from Simeone. They just want Atleti to throw up their hands every time they play Barcelona and say, hey, we want to, we want you to give us a footballing clinic. We're not going to play. Yeah, I, I, I think that's what some people want. I, I, I'm tired of it. I mean, I've been tired of it for years. I think I complain about this every time these two teams play. Well, well, the big question is, and, and, and this is for whether it's TV broadcasters or, or soccer fans, is that uh, if a team is playing defensively or negatively 
in the perception of the viewer um, to try to get a victory. You mean is is that is that hurting the game? Is that uh, you mean is that should that be allowed? Which 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 you know, Kartik, and I know is that you do whatever you can to win the game. So sometimes when you're playing against a much uh, uh, better opposition, you have to play accordingly. So you're not going to you know, play your normal game against a normal team. You're going to play a different. Atleti style is absolutely different, um, a lot more defensively, even at home. But uh, And from time to time, they, they have, you mean, whether it's Griezmann or other players, they have shined. This season's been particularly difficult for Atleti. Uh, I mean, they're doing well in the, in the league, but they're not a very pretty team to watch. Not, not, not as much as last season or the season before. But this is a good segue, though, Kartik, into the Manchester City-Chelsea game, <laughs> right? Because, right. I, I mean, what are your right. thoughts on this one in terms of the way that Chelsea uh, set up? Yeah, it was awful to watch. It was a terrible match. I uh, I, I don't have anything um, really terrible to say about Conte's setup. You, again, you don't want to just let Manchester City play you off the pitch, particularly in uh, at the Etihad in, in Manchester. But... What I do object to, and I guess this isn't for us as viewers, this is for uh, the Chelsea supporters. Why did it take him so long to bring Giroud on? And why did it take him so long to bring Morata on? It was almost as if, and you know what? I kind of get this because I do, I've done it in football manager and I've done it. Uh, I've, you know, done it in games where I've been emotionally involved working for a team here in the States uh, where if it's one nil and you're playing a superior team and you're getting battered possession wise, you're almost thinking, okay, if I put a striker on and pull off a midfielder and open up the match, it's going to be two or three nil quickly. Let's hold on to that until the 80th minute. And then, uh, take whatever chances we get. Well, Chelsea got one really good chance in stoppage time. Uh, but uh, you wonder if he had brought Giroud and or Morata on in, let's say, minute 60 instead of minute 79 and minute 89, uh, how that might have been uh, impacted. Because, look, uh, there's a lot of fragility. Uh, uh, take the matches against Arsenal out of it because Arsenal is in some sort of uh, psychological tailspin. I don't know if players are, have quit on Wenger. People are wanting to get him sacked the sack, whatever. Manchester City has looked very vulnerable against other opposition in the last month. Against almost everybody else they've played, they've looked vulnerable at times. But Chelsea didn't Wigan. test that. Right. Wigan, now Basel. They looked vulnerable in the first leg against Basel. Don't be fooled by that s- scoreline. Basel probably should have scored first, and ties completely different. So, um, yeah, Chelsea didn't, uh, Chelsea didn't take any risk. And again, I don't know if this is related to a specific match tactic or if it's related to the situation at that club, which um, I think is overwhelming everything that Conte does. Well, that's the thing, though, too. I I think this is two two things came out of this match for me is one. It was almost the message from Conte to to the uh, I mean, to Abramovich and to the the upper execs at Chelsea to send a message to say, I'm putting out um, pretty much a, a fourth strength squad's and for the most part, um, and this is the best that we can do. We, we can't play uh, Man City head to head. I mean, kind of the message being sent. We, we, I need uh, more players. I, need, I should have had more funds in the transfer windows. Yeah. But the second thing, though, too, of kind of the, the pragmatism, the, the style of play. I mean, you look at, at the end of the day, you look at the score sheet and you go, okay, 1 0, 1 0. That's not a bad result against Manchester City. 
and it, and it could have easily been one one. And if it was one one, everyone would have walked. Chelsea would have walked away from that, thinking, "Okay, you know, job done, really, to to get some points away from from City." But that we have to remember the two Kartik is that Conte and I mean all these football managers and all these football clubs are getting paid not to entertain; they're getting paid to get results. And and he almost got a result, even even though it was absolutely the dullest of the dullest games you could probably all season long. It was horrible to watch. Uh, he he almost got he almost achieved it. Yeah, so I guess give give credit to Conte for that because tactically Conte has a. Uh, has a pretty uh, good handle on the opposition, and his uh, his uh, attack, his style, did somewhat stifle Manchester City. But it was different than um, a Mourinho uh, team because I think Mourinho's teams, while they're negative and they sit deep against a better opposition, they'll also throw in a tackle or two uh, to, and, and try and get into the opposition's head, right? They'll try and play some sort of mind game. You didn't even see that from Chelsea, right? They were just dropping back and uh, letting Manchester City play. But knowing Manchester City, my, Manchester City's not great in the final third, actually, uh, all, 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 in some matches, matches against better sides. So they... Um, they were able to, uh, and I think that might change as Jesus gets back more integrated. And for all the goals Aguero scores, there are limitations his inclusion puts on, on the movement of other players. Uh, I don't want to get into a debate about Aguero. I know a lot of Manchester City supporters get angry when I bring this topic up because I've never been his biggest fan. But uh, I respect the heck out of the guy. But, you know, I think Jesus is better for the way Pep wants to play. But they, they had the ability to kind of um, soak up that pressure because Manchester City was making one extra pass or a guy was out of position, oftentimes because Aguero would be drifting all over the place. So, um that was uh, that was the way that ended. Then uh, watched Toluca and Pachuca, which was a uh, um, a good match. But the thing about Liga and Mekis matches that are mid afternoon, much like the MLS matches that are mid afternoon, also on Udavision, there's no atmosphere. It's it seems too hot. Um, you know, real letdown in terms of atmosphere after the uh, Super Classical the night before. Uh, I missed the two MLS, the first two MLS broadcasts, national broadcasts of Sunday. Uh, I have uh, I'm a member of a so- supporter-owned uh, club here in, in the uh, Fort Lauderdale area of Mercy FC, and they were playing their last regular season match uh, in the league that they play in. So uh, uh, went, went out to that, and um, uh, we finished the regular season with one win three or four draws and losing track, uh, but uh, we'll be in a, in a postseason game in two weeks. Came back, watched LA Galaxy Portland. I thought that um, Portland looked, uh, excuse me, the Galaxy looked really good in midfield. Um, the team has gotten young very suddenly. They turned over their, their, their squad with the exception of uh, Ashley Cole, who's still there, who's the left back. Uh, uh, he was the captain, but he's the only guy left from two seasons ago when they had this cadre of veteran uh, European players. So um, I, I, I liked how, uh, how how they looked, uh, particularly midfield and the ability to throw on guys like uh, Sebastian Yeget, uh, Weget, uh, Servando Carrasco, who came on, and Usadic, uh, uh, who did not come on, but I think could still be an important player for them. So that was uh, that was good to watch. And then uh, midweek, I watched... Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Let me just jump yeah. in on, on Sunday. So I did watch uh, Seattle against LAFC. Actually, I watched the second half of this one. I missed the first half. And uh, I must say that the last 20 minutes of this game was very entertaining, uh, really end-to-end action. 
And uh, it, it's like whenever Seattle plays at home in the, in Major League Soccer, it just seems uh, that they can't score. Even they have so many chances, they just can't put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, so it's very frustrating. But uh, a good game to watch and a huge victory for LAFC in their first game. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, but there was an incident in the game, and I'm like, I actually caught it. Let me ask you this one, because you've spoken to Howard Webb in the past. But there was an incident in this game where Carlos Vela was heading towards uh, the goal and right on the edge of the penalty area uh, got fouled. Really, really blatant foul. Uh, the referee didn't call it, and uh, instead the ball, I think, trickled out for a goal kick and and. Uh, the play continued, but to me, like, why, why wasn't why wouldn't VAR be used in an instance like this where there's a clear and ob- obvious foul and a clear and obvious mistake by the referee? The referee didn't go to VAR in, in this instance, even though he could have. I would believe it would just yeah. seem very bizarre for such a blatant foul. It could have been a penalty or a free kick on the edge of the area. I mean, that's that's debatable, but there was nothing called. Why would that not be called? Uh, in a game like this in Major League Soccer when they have VAR? Yeah, so Howard Webb, uh, they'll score every official on this. It'll be interesting It would be interesting to ask him uh, if he does a, a media appearance of some sort why uh, it wasn't used in that instance. Now, the thing that he, he stressed to me last season when I sat down with him, uh, now he's the head of all officials in, in, North, in North, or not North America, in the United States, uh, but he was at the time... Uh, working specifically on the implementation of the VAR, he uh, had had said that it's at the referee's discretion if they don't get buzzed. Um, so in this case, the referee probably didn't get buzzed. And then once the the next uh, sequence, as he called it, or, uh, begins, which would be that goal kick, you can't go back and look at it. Now, that's different than the way they view it in Germany yep. and in Italy. And in Germany, I think uh, I think that would have been reviewed in Germany. Now, my complaint about the Bundesliga has been that they review everything, and it seems to have slowed down the match matches. But they haven't, uh, with a few exceptions, they haven't gotten it wrong. Whereas in MLS, what happens is there are a lot of uh, calls that are, are, are mistakes that are still standing because of this mandate from Howard Webb, which is to get on with the game because he's conscious of uh, not wanting to break up the flow. I see that, though, Kartik, as as a potential um, issue. Because if I'm Seattle, you mean, I, I just, uh, you mean, hacked down Carlos Vela knowing that it, that should have been a penalty kick or, or, or a free kick at the edge of the area. And um, I see that the referee doesn't call it. I'm going to try to speed up the play. If it's a goal kick or whatever the next uh, kind of play is, I'm going to speed that up. Uh, yes, and that, that was, in fact, uh, discussed. I'm trying to remember now specifically what Howard Webb said to us about that. But that was brought up. That was absolutely positively brought up, Chris, is the first concern if that's the way you're going to implement it. So, right. yeah, you're thinking the same way everybody else was thinking. Yeah, either quick kickoff or quick yeah. I mean, free kick or quick throw. Quick free kick, yep, yep, yeah, yep. Whatever it may be, just just, just speed it up. Don't, don't delay. Just pretend everything's, everything's fine and move on. Okay. Well, so what about the midweek games, Kartik? Which ones did you catch? Yeah, so I, I watched, uh, uh, obviously, uh, I did not see Manchester uh, United Crystal Palace. Uh, I did. Um, oh, my God. What an entertaining game from, from start yeah. to finish. And typical, I feel sorry for Palace. It's just that uh, these conceding these late goals, I mean, playing their hearts out and, and actually missing a ton of players uh, through injuries. I mean, Zaha especially. Uh, they're fighting. Uh, they still got a chance to stay up, but but from a, a neutral's perspective, just a really entertaining game from start to finish. In this one, of course, United pull off the uh, the late win. 
He also lost his cheek, who they had on loan from Chelsea, uh, was a big contributor to Hodgson getting them off the bottom and into, for a little bit, what appeared to be a, a move toward mid-table. But his injury coupled with Zaha, they actually have a few other injuries too. Uh, they did get a couple guys back for this match, uh, but it's going to be a real hard slog for Palace. Uh, so Tuesday, I uh, saw the, the Champions League pregame show. They brought Allie Wagner into the studio. Uh, she decided she was going to spar with Warren Barton. I, I like the point she was making, which is, by the way, a point a lot of people are making about Neymar. Uh, she's not the only one, although Barton seems so taken aback and offended. But uh, her feeling was that PSG would play better, might play better without him. Uh, and uh, they didn't really, they didn't play, they hadn't played particularly well with him either. I, I know people will say they dominated the first 45 minutes in, in, in Madrid, but the end product isn't there. And uh, they capitulated badly in, in this one. And PSG is, uh, again, they're in the same uh, league as uh, uh they're not in the same league as, as the top European clubs. And I was going to say that they're, they're essentially not even uh, any, any different than uh, now the Sevillas and the Malaga's and the Leicester cities and the Manchester cities and these uh, clubs that have made champions league uh, runs to the quarterfinals or maybe even the semifinals. PSG hasn't made the semis yet in this era, six, six successive knockout stages, but no, not never past the quarterfinals, but they haven't, um, they haven't gotten to a final mm-hmm. and, it's uh, it's got to be incredibly frustrating. But this was, uh, I, I mean, I know a couple of weeks ago on this show, and I took some heat, heat from it. I thought that PSG would 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 win this tie. Uh, Real Madrid has since improved their league form. They had one blip in that period, but they've since been playing much better in the league. And this game seemed like a fait accompli. Honestly, I, I it was it was almost pointless to watch it. To be honest with you. Yeah, I, I miss I missed this match. I was um, in New York on Tuesday for a press conference. The Telemundo, which I'll, I'll get into in, in a little while, but uh, yeah, I, I just saw the highlights on this one, and, and Real Madrid just looked like they were on fire. I mean, and PSG, it's unlucky too, just in terms of uh, the teams they keep on getting in these draws, like whether it's you mean Barcelona or Real Madrid. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm sure Roma and, and Shakhtar Donetsk are, you mean, looking at themselves, going like, we lucked out here. Uh, you mean to play against each other for a chance to make it into the quarterfinals, and and why can that that have been PSG in one of those games? But uh, yeah, the difference between where PSG is right now and where they need to be is still a huge climb up, and uh, they're not there yet. But uh, yeah, Real Madrid's just uh, you know scintillating football. Yeah, and on Wednesday I saw the last twenty five minutes of of Spurs and. Uh, and Juventus, and that was uh, uh, unfortunately, from uh, from perspective, if you if you uh, a Spurs supporter or just want to see different teams uh, emerge in European competition, that was the wrong twenty five minutes to watch. Yeah. So obviously, but, but, Juventus gets both goals and they shut it down. Yeah, yeah, I think deservedly so. I mean, it was really yeah. it was an entertaining game. I mean, I mean, for Spurs fans, of course, they're they're going to be just uh, devastated. But for neutrals, I think this is a. I mean. It, Juventus was the underdog in this game. I think everyone was expecting Spurs to either get a draw, and especially when they went when ahead one nil. I mean, they thought, they thought, okay, we've got it. We've got this now, and I'm sure the players probably thought that too. Um, but a really entertaining game, really a huge fight back from Juventus, and uh, for the neutral, I mean, just a fantastic match to watch, and just seeing the passion on the pitch and with the fans. I mean, how much it meant to all these players. Uh, yeah, it, it was a great watch, which is rare for the Champions League. You know, what I mean, sometimes it, it's very predictable, but this one was unpredictable, and I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, and obviously, I think Fox uh, was able to play up would be able to play up to either angle. Spurs finally breaking through, or uh, Juventus, the old lady, continuing on. And, and uh, Lawless, Alexi Lawless was very good in the studio after the match. Uh, and I think he encapsulated the sentiment of a lot of people, Chris. I mean, we've given Pochettino so much praise the last few years and, and uh, so much love uh, for this the, the, the young players on the Spurs side, but they've got to win something eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... It seems like we're always talking about this in bigger matches with Spurs, and uh, that narrative continued. And and I, that's the way Lawless signed off or right before Kate Abdo signed off. Said they got to win something. <laughs> they got to win a game like this eventually. And he's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and they came close. I mean, I think uh, at the start of the season, I, I don't think anyone would have expected them to go this deep in the tournament. Um, they played well. They came so close. I mean, uh, I think they got nothing to be ashamed of. They really fought for it. Uh, it just was, I mean, Juventus with the experience that they had, very clinical too in terms of the chances that Dybala uh, had and just some of the mistakes in the back from Spurs defensively. Um, Juventus capitalized on that. So, yeah, congratulations to them. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be intriguing to see who they get in the uh, in the quarterfinal stages. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants to play Juventus uh, yeah. in this competition now. I I had thought that last season too, and then they got beat by Real Madrid in the final, a one-off match. But to that point, I thought they had been the best team uh, in Champions League, certainly in the knockout stages. But yeah, so that was uh, that was my week. I, I watched a little bit of uh, of uh, Concacaf Champions League between Seattle and Toronto. Oh, let me mention, uh, sorry, Seattle and Chivas. Let me mention I had watched on Sunday also uh, the She Believes Cup match between the U.S. and France, which wasn't particularly good. Did not watch the U.S. England game yet. It is on my DVR. Uh, that's uh, uh, we're taping recording this Thursday morning. That was a Wednesday night match in Orlando. Yeah, I missed the uh, She Believes Cup this week. Just just uh, too much uh, other stuff going on. But- oh, and I should mention, uh, just for our listeners, this match was bumped to ESPN News. I know there were the England game, there was a lot of uh, unhappiness about that among soccer fans. Uh, they they had, uh, th- th- this just was unfortunate. They scheduled this match uh, to run concurrent with a couple of college basketball tournament games of uh, conference tournament games where ESPN is obligated to show those matches or uh, those games on uh, big ESPN or ESPN U or ESPN two bumping this to ESPN news, which you cannot get on via ESPN through or watch, watch ESPN to watch ESPN app creating uh, even more anger among soccer fans, uh, us soccer and, uh, and Soccer United Marketing and those that run She Believes Cup, they need to think about the selection of dates and the mm-hmm. potential programming windows that they can get next next year. Yeah, it was bumped, but, but Kartika, it was originally scheduled to, to be on ESPN News, and they announced that last week, and we had it on our TV schedule pages. So there shouldn't have, shouldn't have been any late minute, last-minute surprises. Uh, there was. I think everyone assumed that it would, it would be on ESPN or ESPN2 or ESPN3. ESPN3 was really kind of the killer in this one. Uh, for streaming, it was on Sling Orange, um, but you would have had to have had the, I think, the, the sports extra uh, add-on, which is, like I think, $5 a month extra on top of that uh, to get uh, ESPN News. So still a hassle. And, um, yeah, it, it, I mean, 
yeah, US soccer definitely needs to think this through a little bit to, to make sure there's there's no uh, overlaps with some of the other things going on. That, well, uh, and and actually, actually, even if the match had been on uh, Tuesday, they would have been okay. It's a Wednesday or Thursday or Friday of this particular week okay. every single year that there's a problem. So uh, even a problem for some of the college basketball conferences because there's such a volume of things going on that ESPN doesn't have the bandwidth necessarily to, to air everything on their main network. So uh, even if they had this match on a Tuesday, which would have been tough with the Sunday – but, uh, yeah, they need to think about this for next year because uh, I think there is renewed interest. Uh, and, I, and this is going to be unfortunate. Uh, this is not unfortunate, but this is going to be something that might, might shock some Guardian readers. But there's uh, a renewed interest in the England national side among casual football fans because Gary Neville's managing uh, – excuse me, Phil Neville's managing them. So there were a lot of people who wanted to watch this match that I, I think may not have been able to. Right, right. Yeah, and the only other match I watched, Kartik, uh, this midweek that uh, you didn't get a chance to watch, and that was just the first half, was uh, Seattle against Chivas in the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, I watched this one. It was a late game. I think it started at 10 p.m. Eastern. I watched the oh, first uh, half. Oh, I just mentioned I watched that game. Sorry. Oh, you okay. did? Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. But but um, so the Seattle game, the first half was really scrappy. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe how poor Seattle looked. So. So this morning, Thursday, when I looked at the score to see that uh, Seattle had won 1-0 in his first leg, I was surprised just by how poor they were in that first half. And I wasn't sure if it was the the pitch, the turf, which they should be used to, but just lots of um, losing the balls. I mean, like, it was really hard to see uh, any time more than two consecutive passes in a row for Seattle before they would lose the ball or Chivas would intercept. But... Uh, not a ha- not a great first half. Um, I didn't listen to the commentary. I, I had it on mute, um, but still, um, the broadcast quality on Go Ninety w- was good. Uh, no problems with the stream. I uh, just didn't get a chance to watch the second half. Well, in the second half, Seattle looked uh, mouth watering ah, at times. They uh, they created. I would say really five or six really good chances. Um, and they've got a, a second leg lead going down to, uh, um, to, to uh, Guadalajara yeah. uh, next week. This was the, uh, the best ever night for MLS in the CONCACAF Champions League in terms of uh, uh, matching up with Liga and MEC East sides. Three, three, uh, um, three matches, three victories. Uh, Toronto beat Tigres 2-1 uh, in Toronto, although Tigres now has an away goal. Tigres is uh, just such a good side. And then a uh, 2-0 win for Red Bulls over uh, uh, Tijuana, which I didn't uh, – uh, the Zolos. I didn't get to watch that match. I did watch the Seattle match, and I thought Seattle was very good in the second half. I would share your observation about the first half. Um, and uh, for those who don't know, and again, it's on our – uh, website of World Soccer Talk, these matches, because again, we, I've gotten tweets and complaints that these matches aren't on Fox anymore. They are they are on Univision Deportes uh, last night. So you can uh, check it out there, or I believe there is an online streaming option as well. Yeah, yeah, Go90 or, or the Univision. Actually, I think Go90 definitely, UnivisionDeportes.com, maybe. I'm not sure on that one, yeah. but, but definitely Go90, which is available for free. Uh, just download the app or go to the Go90 website. All right, Kartik, we have a new sponsor of the World Soccer Talk podcast that I'm excited to share with you, and that's a company called Away Days, which is a small and independent clothing brand based out of Boston. Away Days creates unique, beautifully designed soccer T-shirts. One of their most intriguing products is called Mystery Kits. For $25, you pick your jersey size and you receive a mystery one. 
all of these are official club jer jerseys from around the world. They could be a few years old, but they are all 100% new and authentic. Away Days only features unique teams from different countries. So, for example, if you are a Arsenal supporter, you wouldn't want a Spurs jersey, but you probably wouldn't mind a Swedish club's jersey. Uh, and some customers have used this to start following teams they have never heard of before, and it helps them learn about how the game is played and more about the, the country or the club Um wherever it may be in Sweden or around the world. It's a cheap way to get some more jerseys and it's a way to get jerseys of teams you wouldn't normally be able to get from big websites or stores. And to World Soccer Talk podcast listeners, you get a special 15% discount on the entire store. Uh, just go to awaydaysfootball.com and enter your promo code WORLDSOCCER, one word, at checkout. Again, that's awaydaysfootball.com. Check them out. Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, and uh, Telemundo Deportes, as you mentioned earlier, you were in New York for the big event on Tuesday. Uh, they revealed this week that Viviana Villa, uh, Argentine commentator, will join its coverage this summer as the first ever female analyst uh, or co-commentator uh, for, for some of us to call the FIFA Men's uh, World Cup for U.S. television. Uh, she'll be one of the analysts that will appear in commentary booths uh, throughout Russia. Uh, previously, she uh, worked for Football Power Todas in Argentina, has been covering soccer for 19 years on radio and television. Uh, Telemundo Deportes also announced that star-studded cast of uh, analysts that will be joining their coverage. There were 12 of them in all. We're only going to name a few of them for you here. Uh, Tab Ramos, Diego Forlan, Chuco, Chucho Ramirez, and Nene Cubillas, who lives in, in, in our neighborhood in my neck of the world uh, and is a, Fort, a Peruvian legend the greatest Peruvian player ever and Fort Lauderdale Strikers legend. I will uh, tell you, I used to play soccer with Nene Cubillas' kids when I was uh, six years old. So kind that's of cool right. for me. That's right. Definitely a legend uh, from Peru, a World Cup's past, uh, and Fort Lauderdale Strikers. So McCartick, meanwhile, on the same day on Tuesday that Telemundo made those announcements, uh, Diego Forlan especially, that's a, that's a huge name, uh, Fox Sports announced that they have a resident DJ on the set of their World Cup Tonight show, which is going to be with uh, Fernando Fiore. Uh, they also revealed their theme song for the World Cup, which is a classical music piece entitled uh, Where Angels Fear to Tread. Um, the other piece of news from uh, Fox Sports uh, this week is that uh, they have a billboard in Times Square. So uh, uh, before my meetings on Tuesday, I had a chance to go to Times Square to check it out and uh, take a picture of that. Uh, it looks pretty neat. But uh, overall, the Kartik, I must say, in terms of how Telemundo um, really kind of emphasized their coverage and what they're planning on doing, they're really focusing in on authenticity. I, I can't uh, remember the number of times they mentioned the words uh, authenticity in that press conference. They're really kind of focusing uh, at giving the, the most authentic, uh, the best World Cup ever. And um, there with other members of the press, they really give a good presentation in terms of what they're planning on doing. They are planning to announce more names uh, in the near future. Uh, they already have a, a long list of, of stars that are going to be um, working to, to bring this uh, World Cup to you. But uh, yeah, overall, very, very impressed. Um, they've got, um, and actually one other thing too, from an advertising perspective, they said that this is going to be the most, Telemundo is going to uh, spend the most amount of money ever 
whether it's English side or the Spanish side, on advertising and promoting this World Cup than, than ever before in the, in the United States. So they've got big plans. They've got the World Cup for the next three World Cups, just like Fox Sports. And uh, they made a very, very uh, positive impression on Tuesday. Yeah, that's uh, that, that, that's a that's a pretty big deal because also just uh, to understand the dynamic in, in Spanish language television in the United States, Univision is the is the clear market leader. Telemundo has been uh, trying to climb the ranks and be kind of a co number one. And this is an incredible property to do that with to climb that ladder. So yep. uh, uh, we'll see how they do, but uh, it all sounds are very promising. Um, moving on. Uh, La Liga's TV rights in Spain are up for bid for the 2019 to 2022 season. And La Liga president Javier Tebas has some interesting things to say. Uh, he said, uh, there is a, still a lot of time until the auction. If no one bids, it won't matter. It might actually even be a good thing. And you ask why? Why would he say such a uh, something that sounds so outlandish? Uh, because it could accelerate the model uh, already being increasingly adopted by other championships to market the rights themselves, he said, uh, much like MLS does. Uh, his goal is to increase domestic rights from 1.1 billion euros to 1.3 billion euros per year. And uh, I should mention, Chris, I'm not, I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast last week. There is... Uh, Talk now that the Premier League might do the same thing with those final two packages that they have. They may just buy. They might just buy back the rights themselves. Interesting. Yeah, we talked a little bit last week about how the Premier League was looking at, at uh, if Amazon did go and go ahead and acquire those uh, to watch that closely to see if that's something in the future that the Premier League could uh, have their own subscription model and, and go direct. Um, but if Amazon yeah. is not kind of willing to pay the price they're looking for. That's that's fascinating. If uh, the Premier League does decide to do that in the UK, again, that's UK only. Uh, right. But still, that's that'd be a huge. You know, that'd be huge for the UK if they can do that, which which makes sense. I mean, it's that's the way things are heading. Uh, it's probably earlier than they anticipated, but um, and who knows too? It could be that that they're dangling that carrot and saying, okay, well, if you guys don't uh, pay whatever the price we're looking for is, we'll go ahead go ahead and do it direct. To try to get Amazon to say, okay, well, all right, well, we'll give you a little bit more. Here you go, type of thing. That's what I sensed when I was told this uh, late last week. That's what I sensed might be going on. Because yeah, I, I don't think the Premier League is ready, though. I mean, I mean, they have no experience in this area, one. And two, still, illegal streaming is, is rampant. So by doing that... Um, you mean that's going to lessen the value of their products if, if you mean, if a vast majority or even a large percentage of those people are actually watching those games illegally anyway and circumventing that whole subscription model. Uh, so it could be just kind of a, a warning from the Premier League to try to get uh, Amazon to to go ahead and, and, and clinch that deal. All right, Serie A is introducing two more rounds of matches between Christmas and New Year. Serie A will also schedule uh, three rounds of uh, soccer over the Christmas holidays on December the 22nd, 26th and 30th of uh, 2018. Uh, this season, the Italian Football League stayed um, open over the Christmas period, but with just the one single round of matches. So uh, Serie A definitely pushing hard. There. I mean, uh, traditionally, they've always had their winter break. Um, and now you're looking at the Premier League considering their own winter break. The Bundesliga, of course, always having a winter break. But Serie A making a big push here, a big push really to compete against um, international rights, TV rights, I mean, and really kind of looking at, say, the Premier League or 
other leagues. And an interesting move. I still think that uh, that's... Well, actually, that December 26th, Boxing Day, <laughs> the timing of that Serie A having matches on that day, the, the looking at the success that the Premier League has had uh, worldwide in having those games and, and the, the TV numbers and, and Serie A trying to fight back there. Yeah, this is a very... Uh, uh this is a uh, very, very interesting development. We'll have to see how it plays out next year and then how it maybe increases or improves Serie A's television profile, uh, particularly in the States, if, if it stays on VN because uh, there's no Spanish matches or no uh, French matches in that period. Uh, so moving on, Amazon is partnering with La Liga for a new documentary series following the success uh or at least a critical acclaim of, of Juventus' first team uh, on Netflix, on rival Netflix, and then also uh, Amazon's own original series uh, with Manchester City, which will debut this summer, but has been much talked about. Uh, La Liga has gotten in on the action. So I think this is a trend, a very positive trend for football fans uh, throughout the uh, globe, but a trend that we're going to continue to see. Now, I've heard from one of my sources that the Turner Sports streaming service that will be launching uh, later this year is supposed to be absolutely incredible. Um, one of my sources had seen it and said it was just raving about how, how good it is. Of course, this hasn't been released yet. Uh, there's been no announcement. There's been no uh, name or anything. But uh, the buzz I'm hearing internally, um, not from Turner Sports, but from elsewhere, has been extremely positive. Now, one of the main features um, of this streaming sports package uh, subscription service uh, is going to be the Champions League and Europa League games. And approximately, I think, um, was it, I think in total, was it Kartik, it was about 20% of the games will be on television if you combine yeah. both. And then, uh, well, if you combine both, right? If, you combine if, both. if you're just looking at Champions League, it's about half. Right. And the interesting thing, thing though, too, I was looking back, uh, I think, yesterday about the Champions League is that we're, we're in the knockout stages now, right? So we've got uh, yeah. four games on a week, you mean uh, two on, on a Tuesday and, and two on a Wednesday. And starting next season, Turner Sports, in, in the knockout stages of the tournament, instead of having the four games on television that we're accustomed to having with Fox Sports, only two of those would be on television. So you're probably looking at the Tuesday, whatever the biggest game would be, and then the Wednesday, whatever the biggest game would be. And those two other games then would be only available through the streaming uh, service that they have. So it's going to be a big change. Uh, there was somebody on Twitter that uh, mentioned, I mean, just kind of ranting about Fox's coverage of the Champions League. And, and I said, well, in some ways, you have to be careful what you wish for because uh, you might a year from now look back and go, wow, actually Fox had, had most of these games on television, if not all of these games. And now we have to pay X amount of dollars for this Turner subscription uh, service. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, though. Uh, there's still still a lot of question marks, but uh, this will be one to watch. Oh, although I'm not sure necessarily the knockout stages because there's a one in a three uh, Eastern time get match uh, next year. Yeah. So yeah. So the, so that the timings change. So it will be staggered. Uh, so uh, a game that one o'clock and three o'clock on the Tuesdays, and then one at three on the Wednesdays. But still, only two of those games would be televised on Turner. And then uh, the other two would still be on, on streaming only. So, um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But definitely one to watch. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV ratings and some big numbers this uh, past week. We had uh, the opening weekend of Major League Soccer. We had the uh, Super Classico be between Chivas and America. We had the Barcelona Atleti, really a, a title decider. 
Manchester City against Chelsea uh, and some other big games uh, throughout uh, North America on uh, United States on streaming and television. Uh, what for you jumped out as, as some of the most in, uh, intriguing numbers that came out this past weekend? Okay, so 456 for ESPN for Seattle LA is up from 411 last year for their opener. However, given the amount of promotion that was uh, put into it and the uh, droning on by uh, 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 by ESPN in, in some regards, uh, I mean I've even seen it this week during College Basketball Championship Week. Uh, lots of ads for MLS for the game this week, the the Atlanta DC United game. Uh, but maybe that number wasn't as high as you would expect. Now for FS1. Let's get into that. So in 2015, their uh, their two they had two matches opening night like they did uh, or opening weekend like they did uh, uh, this week this year. 289 and 268 were the numbers uh, two, uh, in, th- in thousands. 289,000, 268,000. In 2016, it was 267,000. So pretty consistent, not great, but pretty consistent. 375 last year, big jump. This year, 180. For that L.A. Uh, Portland game, 168 for Sporting KC and Kansas City. That is half the number, approximately, or actually less than half, that they had last year. And pretty stunning. Yeah, I, and I posted this on Twitter too, uh, and asked people kind of to explain why, to get their thoughts. And we had a whole ton of different reasons why people had said everything from lack of promotion to. Pro, pro rel to MLS sucks to you know, I mean I didn't know the game was yeah, on, yeah, yeah, right, uh, right, right, the, t- the typical yeah. stuff to, yeah. to to me the card I, I watched maybe the first probably five or ten minutes of the sport uh, the sporting KC NYCFC pregame and even before it started if I close my eyes right now and try to predict how it would start off it, it's so predictable and that's the thing with Fox's coverage is that. Um, you know that it's going to be Rob Stone sitting next to Alexi Lalas, and they're going to have a nice little jovial chat about, isn't it great how Major League Soccer is back? And you mean, it's, it's so exciting. We've got Sporting KC against NYCFC and coming up. And it, it just it's just too predictable, too formulaic, uh, in many ways too lazy. I mean, it seems that Fox has kind of just said, okay, you mean, we, we'll just keep on doing what we're doing because it's working. And, and it's not working. And I watched about, the, again, again, five or ten minutes of that pre-game broadcast uh, with intentions of probably watching some of the game, probably not all the game, but I was, I was curious. And I just switched it off. I was like, this, this is boring. I'm not interested. Let me move on. And I'm not sure if, if that's just, um, again, that's just me, but I'm not sure if other listeners or other, other viewers share the same sentiments. But um, to me, it's just overhyped, not really exciting to watch. Now, for me, the Seattle LAFC on ESPN, that was engaging. That was unpredictable. I mean, you had the halftime interview with Bob Bradley in the bus with uh, Taylor Twellman. I mean, that's shaking things up. And Bradley had some really interesting things to say, very open and uh, honest about his opinions that I disagree with completely. But it was it was interesting. It was entertaining. It, it made me watch, even though I, I didn't like what he had to say about his time at Swansea. But it's it's exciting. I, I, I watched that. And, and again, I, that was the half time I watched and then all of the second half. And um, that's that's me, Kartik. What, what do you think about Fox Fox's numbers? Why are they dropping year after year? I think there's less uh, eyeballs on Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 in general. And uh, 
other than that, I can't really explain. They promoted it uh, pretty heavily. Uh, I thought I, I was under the impression the type of uh, viewer that watches MLS likes the way Fox presents uh, the matches and, and, and likes Fox's uh, kind of uh, uh, propaganda-ish side uh, to, to it. So to be honest with you, I, I can't explain. I mean, I know why I wouldn't watch Fox. I know why I, I prefer to watch uh, MLS on ESPN and, and, and have for the entire duration. This is now year four of this contract. Uh, why I why I have for this entire period that it's been uh, this current contract, but uh, because of, I think the commentators are better, I think the presenters are better, I think the analysis is sharper, the the uh, uh, interviews are more cutting edge, they're more hard hitting, all of those reasons. The production I think is better, uh, the graphics are, are less loud, they're more 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 subtle but more informative. There there are countless reasons why I. As a, as a connoisseur of this, prefer ESPN. But I was under the impression that the average person, and maybe again, it's being views being skewed by social media, Chris. Average person you, you, you see who's an MLS backer, uh, and they're not just MLS fans, right? They're backers. They're, they're very vocal and um, aggressive about promoting the league. The, that league uh, on Reddit and on Twitter and these other places on the internet would take more uh, kindly to Fox's coverage. Now, if there's that kind of drop off from ESPN to Fox on MLS on the same night from 456 to 168 for the very next game, uh, which, by the way, they were promoting on ESPN was going to be on Fox FS1. Um, what's going to happen during the World Cup? What's going to happen during any number of other events Fox has? Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of uh, backlash against Fox. And I think part of that is actually even from the U.S. men's national team and just them overhyping this team for, for years. Uh, and with MLS being so intertwined with U.S. soccer and uh, a lot of people being dissatisfied with uh, how everything ended with, with U.S. soccer, it's it's having an effect on, on Fox and, and Major League Soccer. And, and that's the thing with Telemundo this week is – I mean, they kept on uh, preaching authenticity and, and, and they're providing examples of, of how they've been more authentic. And, you know, I mean, and also from having uh, NBC's Premier League coverage, which is their, their sister com- company, uh, doing such a good job on the, the authenticity, having Andres Cantor, I mean, being the most authentic voice of U.S. soccer of soccer in the United States. I mean, that's one thing. The other thing, though, Kartik, too, and we've talked about this privately so many times, um, is New York City, NYCFC. This is an away match for NYCFC. This is one of the most major metropolitan cities in the United States. You would think that it's NYCFC. You you would think that, I mean, having a team in the city, you'd have a huge number of uh, fans in the New York area tuning in to watch an away match against Sporting KC. And then you have 168,000 people turning up to watch it. That that's a huge uh, red flag to me. Yeah. So, um, so, 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 so some of the other numbers, contact just to throw out there. I mean, uh, and, and again, one more thing on this one too is that the ESPN's numbers were up. Univision's numbers were up too. So it's not a MLS issue uh, per se. It is to me, it's a Fox issue and. Um, I don't know. I'd be worried if I was Fox. Some of the other big numbers, Kartik, this past... But, 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 but let me point out, sure. it was 411 to 456. That was it, the jump. 
for ESPN. LA wasn't in the top 10 markets for that match. And they had, it was LAFC's first match. And uh, they had promoted it like they'd never promoted MLS before. So I would still be concerned about that. Uh, that's not the kind of jump. I, given the amount of promotion, I thought this, this maybe it's unrealistic expectations, but given the amount of promotion I saw, I thought this match was going to have 650 and 700. Plus, we keep hearing about how LAFC is a game changer for MLS. It might still be from some sponsorship perspectives and some uh, some other uh uh, uh, perspectives, but from a TV profile uh, standpoint, uh, it, it, it wasn't. Although I should say, uh, obviously, we know a lot of LA fans travel. They showed that Delta flight and everybody getting on it, and, and a full flight full of LAFC fans going to Seattle. But uh, I, I'm not sure I would be that encouraged by that number either. I'm just being perfectly honest with you. That's true. That's true. Now, putting that into context, too, you had the Barcelona Atleti game, which is on Sunday, uh, 10.15 Eastern, and that was on BN Sports and BN Sports and Espanol. This one, Kartik, had a, a massive number for BN Sports. 752,000 people tuned into this match. I think it was like 593,000 of those tuning into the Spanish language broadcast. I mean, those are some incredible numbers, especially considering... Uh, how many homes uh, be in sports is in compared to ESPNs and, and the Foxes of the world. You also had uh, some other big numbers. Of, of course, the big one, the huge one, 2.5 million people tuned in to watch uh, Chivas against uh, Club America on Univision, uh, which was simulcasted on uh, Univision Deportes Network on Saturday from 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern to midnight. Uh, just just a, a huge number, uh, which actually that number beat uh, the NBA uh, broadcast, I think it was on Saturday with Boston uh, for the 18 to 49 audience. So um, huge numbers there for Liga Mackies. Uh, no surprise there, but uh, still still great to see that there's uh, a lot of passion and a lot of numbers and a lot of interest in soccer in the United States. Uh, Man City against Chelsea, uh, the abomination, <laughs> had 785,000 viewers on NBCSN and Telemundo. I think Telemundo had about 200,000 of those viewers. And uh, let me see, any other numbers that jump out? Uh, U.S. women's national team against France on ESPN2 in the She Believes Cup had uh, 397,000 viewers. Um, some good numbers there. And uh, anything else, Kartik, that jump, jumped out? Well, that didn't get anywhere near the promotion of uh, the MLS games on ESPN, the She Believes Cup match. Uh, and that was running concurrent with Chelsea Man City, which, of course, was a terrible match. And you could theorize some people switch channels, but probably not the case. So, again, national team, and this goes back to my entire point about Soccer United marketing, U.S. women's and men's national team matches are what generate the uh, interest in that bundled television contract and you're seeing it again with she believes without much promotion uh, almost matching the number for mls which we heard ad nauseum about for two weeks yeah and I, and I said it before last week and i'll say it again imagine if any other league soccer league in the united states had the amount of promotion that major league soccer gets uh, across all these networks you mean espn univision and fox all cross-promoting each other and had the, the, the time slots that these uh, games have on ESPN, you mean the, the worldwide leader in sports, uh, Fox and Univision, the over-the-air network. I mean, these are huge opportunities and these should be slam dunks for Major League Soccer to get some big numbers. Um, disappointing from the opening weekend. 
Okay, listener mailbag. Uh, we've got a few comments this week. First one up is from Dave Brunk, and he sent in this email. He says, the highly promoted MLS opener between Seattle and LAFC uh, has been a mess. He says, starting on ESPN News, which I had to look up the channel ID, to the sudden cutover in the 10th minute, to the production issues in the pregame, it makes you think they weren't prepared. And the turf field also looks horrible on television. My son and I went to the uh, Houston-Atlanta game on Saturday. The weather was pleasant, the pitch was perfect, and the home team crushed uh, the opposition. I'm beginning to conclude that Major League Soccer will always be better in person than on TV. What do you think, Kartik? Yeah, first off, I, I completely agree on the turf, right? I, watching Seattle, Portland is a little, I think Portland's turf may be a little better than Seattle's turf, maybe. They're, they're both turf, though, bottom line. And I agree with that. Uh, when I, uh, um, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I had a game I went to, as I mentioned earlier, a Hemershi game at the same time, Hemershi FC game. And uh, I came back and I DVR'd the Seattle game, but the turf made me fast forward through the whole thing and just delete it and watch the Galaxy Portland game, which was going on live at that time uh, on FS1 instead. So I agree with that. And then as a Floridian, I got to defend the Atlantic Sun uh, Conference title game with Florida Gulf Coast and running over. That's a conference that has smaller programs in the state and they get one one game in a year in all sports on a big ESPN network that's this the men's basketball championship so um, maybe it's again ESPN's fault for scheduling college basketball games and we talked about this before it even spilled over into MLS Cup although MLS Cup they had tons of pregame right so it just it cut out maybe 10 minutes of the pregame show but um, inevitably this was probably going to happen uh, but they have ESPN News as a spillover for pregame. Uh, you missed a little bit of action on, on main ESPN, but it's for 10 minutes or so. So uh, I, I think it was all good. The production issues I can't speak to, although, uh, look, I think that there are always things in the first match of the season uh, that, 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 that uh, are hiccups. And uh, ESPN in general does drop in Fox at this. It's, uh, the ratings also kind of bear out. All right, Kartik, next up we have uh, Giuseppe Alberto who sent in this tweet. He says, I listened to the podcast today and I am one of those people who feels that VAR takes away from the beauty of soccer. It's too slow and not ready to be used in these big games. I also agree it's huge for the sport of soccer in the United States to get the World Cup in 2026. Now, to follow up on that is that uh, FIFA has announced that uh, they will have VAR at the World Cup this summer. Uh, which sends kind of shudders down the spines of so many different people. But I, I think it has to be said that um, the FA uh, for the League Cup and uh, the FA Cup have done a disservice really to VAR, to the technology, because it's been handled so poorly. Uh, that is probably not the par that we're looking for. Oh, it's not what we're looking for, but that's not the standard of VAR that we've seen through the Bundesliga and Major League Soccer and other leagues. Yes, there's still growing pains, but... Um, Yes, it does take away from the beauty of the of the game, uh, but hopefully FIFA makes the correct decision here. And uh, knowing them, they'll probably pick their own technology. But hopefully, they they learn from uh, some of these other leagues that have been using it for for a year or two. 
right, next up is uh, Dan Mayacourt, and he sent in this email. He says, hi, Chris and Kartik. I am pos posing this question specifically to Kartik. Could you reconsider comparing everything to college basketball? The latest pod had at least three references to the ACC, SEC basketball, mostly around the topic of video review. In my opinion, the comparison doesn't add anything to the, to the discussion, and it feels out of place. I listen to you guys for the soccer takes, uh, not to fall into the common American uh, trope of comparing soccer to other more American sports. I don't always agree with you too, but I always enjoy the pod. Keep up the good work. So, Kartik, any response to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I don't like the comparisons to American sports. I, in fact, hate them. But it's the only uh, point of reference I have on replay because I don't watch the NFL. I don't watch NHL. I, I don't know. Does NHL even have replay? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I, I don't watch cricket, which has had uh, uh, replay and, and, and technology implemented. I do watch tennis, but it's not kind of the same thing. It would be for goal line technology. So I, I apologize if I've overdone it, but it's the only point of reference I have. I don't watch any other sports other than football. Or soccer, as we call it. Sorry. Jack Mann, uh, or Mahon, uh, sent in this email. He says, uh, we know that Sepp Blatter has lots of friends in the African Federation, and many of those countries probably still favor... Uh, look favorably on him because of FIFA's uh, because of FIFA bringing the cup to South Africa and by extension the whole continent. Do you think the recent rumbling about Morocco is his way of looking for a way to exact some vengeance upon one of those countries that uh, had some part in bringing him and his private empire down? I mean, I know FIFA doesn't operate in the realm of fair, but it's Concacaf's turn, right? <laughs> In Kartik, uh, rather than you answer that one tweet, uh, let me move on to the next one and maybe you can, you can discuss uh, your responses to both of them at the same time. So the next one is from Anthony Bello and uh, he sent in this email. He says, hi guys, I would like to get, set the record straight on the talk last week on the, on the World Cup 2026 bid. Let's start with this. The North American bid for the World Cup would not have a single stadium built for the World Cup. The bid is using uh, existing NFL, CFL, and Liga MX stadiums. If a city builds a stadium, it wouldn't be for the World Cup. It would be for the NFL, and World Cup matches would happen to be played there. Second, yes, the Olympics are coming to LA in 2028, but an overwhelmingly uh, majority of the venues have been built and are up at the moment. LA could host the Games tomorrow with lifting a finger. Uh, in both cases, the public funding for these event, uh, events will be minuscule compared to Morocco, which according to the article will cost a billion dollars. A billion to build 15 stadiums or not having to do anything. What is more fisc fiscally responsible? Uh, one more comment, let me get through let me, let me get this straight. Uh, the world throws a fit when Fox cuts a payment uh, in a contract uh, but doesn't blink an eyelash when Qatar pays people off and we have to come in and arrest everybody. I guess the view is payments out in the open are evil while payments under the table are okay. And if the U.S. loses the perception in this country... Um, Will, uh, will be Morocco paid FIFA off. It's FIFA. They did it once. Why wouldn't they do it again? Okay. A lot to unpack in these last two uh, tweets. I'll try and be as concise as possible. First off, Morocco themselves have, have allegedly been the victim of FIFA corruption, losing out on the World Cup bids in 2006 and 2010, 
potentially because of corruption. I think we're almost sure in the case of South Africa, that's what happened. It's a little more murky in the case of Germany in 2006, if that's why Morocco lost that bid. But that's uh, th- th- those are uh, I want to throw that out there. Secondly, I am. Um, Tired. Look, I, I didn't want to uh, any longer really criticize print media in this country and, and bloggers and such, uh, because uh, we went through a, a trying time with the USSF election. I respect the job. Everybody does. But we have now once again entered the phase of cheerleading. And it's cheerleading now for this bid rather than for anything tangible on the pitch, you know, cheerleading for MLS squads or cheerleading for the U.S. men's national team, the U.S. women's national team. It has become about this bid and imputing the motivations of anyone who would vote against a U.S.-led bid, imputing them as being corrupt or somehow bitter or angry, imputing FIFA uh, or any of the confederations who might have an interest, uh, confederations or federations, ex-co members who might have an interest in putting the World Cup in Morocco, a country that was denied the World Cup twice in recent memory uh, by close votes. And as I said, one for one for certain uh, due to corruption, the other due to alleged corruption. Um, and we're, we're, we're in this realm again where we're saying, OK, everything is perfect with the U.S. If it doesn't come here, FIFA's corrupt. They're uh, they're a horrible entity. There are reasons beyond corruption and money and uh, and, and uh, um, political power within FIFA that people might vote for the Morocco bid. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't uh, some motivation of potential corruption. There isn't some motivation of political power for someone. uh, If you can, if you can uh, not, if you can advance within FIFA or within one of the confederations, or also marginalize Sunil Gulati, who is not a very popular character with some folks over at FIFA and in in, uh, federations like Common Ball and and, and UEFA, etc. we're in this mode again, Chris, where we're cheerleading, we're impugning people's motivations, and we're basically saying if the U.S. doesn't get it, FIFA's corrupt, world football's corrupt, and we would do a great job, we'd do a perfect job. Why isn't it here? We're entitled to it. I'm tired of it. I really am. Yeah. I, it's just, it's getting, and I want the U.S. to win the World Cup bid. I'm not saying I want it in Morocco. It, obviously, for every reason, um, I think you and I both, Chris, would want it here, but I, I just, it, it's getting... I don't know. Maybe it's just a tendency of, of a lot of our supporters and, and, and the media here where they have to have something to cheerlead for and some uh, something to be exceptional about. I think I think the thing that makes this very complicated is, uh, depending on how you pronounce it, uh, Qatar or Qatar, it, it, that bid really makes things difficult. It, it, obviously, I mean, there were payments. Obviously, I mean, FIFA executives were paid off to to get the the World Cup to Qatar to to play in a, in a desert in a desert country that's it's going to be a complete disaster. That they had to move the tournament from the summer to the winter because of the weather conditions. Uh, I'm sure once the tournament. If and when the tournament happens, it'll be okay. Uh, but but that's the the example. That's the bad example of um, how it kind of really changes everything. The, the, the discussion of any uh, World Cup, whether it's Morocco or North America or, or others, uh, everyone's going to point back to to Qatar and say, "Okay, well, well, in that case, uh, you mean you mean there were you know, money being you know, basically bribes really uh, being handed out." So. 
that 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 taints everything uh, and paints paints everything in a bad light. So it's a difficult uh, conversation to have. It is one of those things that yeah, you're right in terms of the cheerleader aspect. Because I think at the end of the day, I think everyone wants the World Cup in the United States. Every for the most part, everyone wants the World Cup to be played in in North America. It'd be it'd be huge for the game here. Uh, so. Yeah, it's it's uh, with FIFA. Who knows? <laughs> you mean it's uh, you can put your best foot forward, and at the end of the day, uh, you mean you hope for the best and see what happens. And if Morocco gets it, great for Morocco. I mean that's going to be huge for for uh, North Africa. Our final uh, mailbag this week is addition by relegation, and uh, he or she sent in this tweet. It says, uh, "Good example of how VAR is supposed to work in the Cologne uh, Stuttgart game. Uh, the goal was scored, ref went to VAR, and within 20 seconds, a decision was made, and the match continued. Hopefully, the Germans run VAR at the World Cup." And, and to me, Kartik, I've seen this. I mean, whether it's Major League Soccer. Uh, whether it's uh, Eredivisie, whether it's you mean Bundesliga, the FA, you mean uh, the League Cup and FA Cup. To me, the Bundesliga one is the best model. It's the best uh, best communication, uh, on screen screen graphics. It's not perfect by any means, uh, but it's the one I, I like the most, uh, the best so far. So, listeners, if you have, do you have any questions, feedback, or comments, uh, hit us up on email at web at worldsoccertalk.com tweet us at worldsoccertalk and uh, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk we'd love to read out your comments uh, in the next uh, episode alright Kartik so uh, let's move on and close out this show It's uh, it's been a good one but uh, where can listeners find you on the internet if they want to uh, find out your latest articles or interviews etc uh, you can find me on the internet at KKFLA737 and then obviously at WorldSoccerTalk.com and uh, also uh, at SportBusiness.com. <laughs> and on the internet, when Cotty says on the internet, he means Twitter and that's the uh, KKFLA. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which for the soccer universe in the United States, uh, the internet is Twitter, it seems to be sometimes. So thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, what should they do this weekend? Enjoy your football.